This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. People in South Africa are generally used to reports or organizations stepping in during humanitarian emergencies. And so we've become accustomed to that. Every time there is a particular humanitarian crisis, we do see some agencies moving in, sometimes ahead of government, way, way ahead ahead of government sometimes, and they move in and they start sorting out the problem. And then, you know, one begins to wonder, you know, what, what what happens to government's pace? What happens to government's responsibility? What happens to government's follow through? What happens to government's, you know, um, funding of these organizations that arrived before government actually arrived there to fix certain things. And one can think of, you know, the the KZN floods as as a typical example of this particular instance. You know, Gift of the Givers and others were in that particular space way, way, you know, earlier than government. Government was still trying to get a national plan together, declare it a state of disaster or not, you know, how much money would go, which ministers were the ones that needed to be, you know, overseeing and oversight of that particular thing. And then there were, you know, more committee meetings and all sorts of things. And NGOs, on the other hand, uh, don't look at it that particular way. They see a particular crisis and they move in and they think we need to solve it. There are people in need and we need to do something. But of course, there's also a a broader conversation about how these particular organizations called NGOs begin then to work with government uh, to assist. Government, I would would believe, and government would be the first to tell us that uh, even though I would think, I would think that it is government's responsibility to be involved in all of these crises, Uh, I would think that government would tell us uh, that, you know, they cannot do all of this work alone and that they need um, individuals and they need the private sector and they need NGOs to also step in and play a helping hand. The question then arises, and I will ask it too of uh, Zakila Zungu also, is when does government then begin to shed its responsibility of certain things and begin to lay that responsibility on to other organizations like NGOs, because NGOs step up immediately. And so then, if government knows that, and government knows they funded, and government knows that a critical element of what they need to do is taken over by a different institution, how keen are they then to get involved in that particular space when it is their first and foremost responsibility in the first place. My guest, of course, here in studio. My next guest is in studio as well. I love the fact that people come into studio. So, uh, Zakile, welcome to Power 98.7. How are you, Brut? Um, um, I'm good, and thank you so much, Tenzo, and, and greetings to your listeners. You know, I was telling you earlier on, Dr. Selo Khalane was sitting in that seat, bro. <laughs> sitting in that seat there, yes. bro. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling blessed. Right, I'm feeling news. blessed. <laughs> Good, good. Let's 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 start off with with a with a conversation uh, of Action Aid uh, and what they do. So yeah. we have an understanding of Action Aid, yes. what it does, where it gets involved, yes. uh, and then we begin to put some context to all of those things that I was asking you about. Okay. 
So Action Aid is a global federation um, made um, that is in about fifty or over fifty countries. Um, it is an an organization, a non-profit organization, or an NPC non-profit company. Mm-hmm. Um, well, our our key goal is to work towards a world that is free of injustice and poverty. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, we are a feminist organization, which organization, which means we look at things from the lens of a woman's experience, mm-hmm. noting that they are the most marginalized people um, historically, and also in in the present world. Um, so we work currently in uh, about four, five um, provinces, which would be Gauteng, um, Pumalanga, um, Eastern Cape, KZN. Um, we do have some programs as well in the Northwest and the Northern Cape. Mm. So in the in the main, our work with we work on women's rights, we work mm. on human rights, we work with mining affected um, uh, communities. So mm. wherever there's a mine and a community out there. We work in, in in support and in partnership with those communities as well. Mm. We also work on a on a youth program that focuses on young people and the issues that young people are facing in the country, which is what the program that I manage, which is mm. called Generation G. Mm. Um, it works on gender-based violence. It works on policy issues that affect young people, ensuring that young people are participating in democratic spaces mm. and taking up spaces of decision-making. So where there are forums, or youth desk, um, which are normally uh, gate, there are gatekeepers there, mm. where you find that the space is allocated for young people, but there's a non-youth person mm. that is um, occupying that space and ensuring that young young people are not able to access those spaces and mm. make decisions about their lives. Mm. So, so we engage such spaces. One of the other things that we are also doing. Um, in that same project is working with civil society as a whole, where we're trying to collaborate and stop working in silos, where you've got one organization there and another one there, you know, in different pockets. But mm. uh, if we could come together and collaborate, and that will give us a, a better chance of impact when it comes to policy or issues mm. that people are facing in the country. Yeah. Let me understand. Let me understand why you are in four provinces. Uh, we've we've got many more provinces yes. uh, in the country, but. Um, and and you potentially took that as a very strategic decision, of course, to 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 platform yourself somewhere. Yes. Why why in those particular four provinces? What do you find that characterizes those particular yes. provinces to an extent that you want to be there? Yes. So actually, it's six. But um, okay. yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so so there there are two um, 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 it, I think paths to this or, or reasons to this. One, I'll just start with the most obvious. One would be the financial constraints that an organization would have. Sure. And obviously, you can't then be everywhere. So you then look at your own core focus and, and strategy, and then, you know, your country program strategy, as we, we would call it, in terms of the work that you want to do and then focus on those areas. So you would look at, for example, in, in the Generation G project, where it's in three provinces, KZN, Eastern Cape, and Gauteng, you look at where, when we're working with GBV, which are the areas that are most affected by G- GBV. Mm. So obviously that will be in Nanda, in KZN, Memakapeni, um, also in the KZN, Mtata, Patawet, Duchwa, in the Eastern Cape, that will be Tembisa, Orange Farm in Gauteng. Mm. Um, when you look at your stats um, year on year, those are the places that will, those are the places that will be on your top 10, top sure. 20. So strategically then you look at if I want to make some credible impact or some impact 
to that particular issue, mm-hmm. then these are the areas of core focus areas that I'll have to tackle and in start engaging those communities or societies around mm-hmm. the issues that they are prevalent in, in mm-hmm. their spaces. Yeah. Does the element of being a global organization of 50 countries, for yeah. example, that's what you say, yes. assist in things like the financial model? Yes. Um, and the fact that, you know, um, when people are talking about funding you, they generally start talking in a conversation that's US dollars and, and, and euros. And then it, 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 it comes down to, to an extent where, where you're working in rands. But I, I would assume that wherever the conversation started first, yes. it would have started in a, in a dollar-euro conversation yes, yes. or a pound conversation. Yes, yes. So, so definitely there is some benefit there. Um, also partnering with organizations such as Songa Gender Justice, Activate um, Change Leadership. So um, it, it does help to a, an extent. There are some downfalls in the sense that, for example, for a global federation um, organization like ourselves, we mm. do have a footprint in South Africa. So we have an independent branch or an independent organization in SA. Mm. You can't necessarily fundraise in SA um, because you're then a global entity. Yeah. So so you then look outward in terms of um, generating that revenue that, mm. again, that you use to, to, to then implement your programming. Mm. Then when there are opportunities within the country to also um, um, kind of raise funds, mm. um, it then becomes a difficulty because you are, you are viewed with that particular eye. Yeah. yeah. There's something that I want to raise with you even before we get to all the other issues that yes. I want to talk about and government uh, and your relationship with government and, yes. and those particular spaces. Youth, which is yes. your platform. Yes. And I'm glad that you're here then. But then as you began to talk about youth, you went on and you said policy issues. Yes. And you said gender-based violence. Yes. And, and I didn't expect you to say gender-based violence. Okay. <laughs> in in I you know what I'm when when I when I am a, a perspective and I take a perspective of gender based violence, I'm looking at couples and married people and mm. and mm. you know and abuse mm. at that particular yes. level. And here you are telling me that at a very very youth level, very young age of people in the youth category. There's a high extent of gender-based violence, yes. and it's happening in this country. Yes. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about so, this. So w- when you when you think about gender-based violence, firstly we look at the po- the population of the country. Mm. Um, you've got about um, about 20, 20, 20 to about eighty million young people, mm. um, and I speak with correction there, which. Um, your biggest population is young people. Yes. So when you say we have a a, a, a problem with gender-based violence, mm. first your first thought should be young people people are not exempt from that problem. Yes, I and and so, I and I would acknowledge that not yes. exempt from the problem. Yes. I just didn't think that you know it was it was engaged yes. as 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 you're beginning to yes. you know suggest that yes. that it happens at that particular level. Yes. So again. And, and when you're working on gender-based violence and young people, so you work from two fronts. Mm. The first front is you're working from a, a, prevent, a, a preventative front where you're trying to end the harmful societal norms mm. that result in gender-based violence. An educational it, space. Yes. So you put out leaflets, you have workshops and whatever about yes. stuff that's happening in, in other places, yes. but we should not be doing it. Yes. So that's the educational so, model. So you would have like roundtable discussions, but mm. at the core of them, 
is young people mm. who are facilitating these engagements are young people mm. so they they are the ones that are in the decision making space even in your programming and not having them as beneficiaries or participants because usually in 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 our space or when we work with young people they are mm. just beneficiaries or participants mm. they're not leading the conversation they're not making any decisions about the conversation the space that you're hol- holding the conversation in what service provider you're using even for for food mm. they have no communication i mean mm. they have no engagement or power to make decisions and is one it, of the things is it is it economic power we're talking about now because once you don't have economic power you are generally left out of a conversation not necessarily okay so, because because do do you agree though yes. that if you don't have economic power your voice is not Definitely. as strong as the other person who has the economic Definitely. person if if i had 10 million rand and and you had 2 rand yes at this conversation here yes i would be crowding you out yes so so we we are not necessarily um ruling out even that conversation okay. we do have that conversation sure. of um access to economic opportunities whether in the form of entrepreneurship um opportunities or work opportunities mm. one of the other biggest problems that young people are facing is the issue of unemployment we have 66% of our yeah. youth yeah. that are unemployed so you can't ignore that issue okay. so what i'm saying here is that when we whether it be a private institution government or even an ngo mm. what we are saying is that young people must be in the table mm. of engagement and decision making mm. so whether we are deciding to have a conversation about a sexual re- reproductive health right mm. they must be the mm. decider of that conversation that we are having this conversation mm. if they want to have a conversation on the economy mm. they must be the decide i must not be the one saying now young people you are left out now let's dis- discuss the economy mm. and usually and the, the attitude is mm. young people this is the conversation you must have come to the table mm. they are brought into the table as beneficiaries or participants not decision makers in, even in you. the conversation i agree with so, you so our starting point is meaningful inclusive youth participation mm. so that when a person is in that space the space is useful for them because they have the decision making power within that space mm. so we must then first um, 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 employ the strategy before we can go to government or even the private sector mm. to say do this we must be able to reflect that in our work. So one, one of the things that we do, mm-hmm. just in the last point on this one, is that, for example, one of the things that we forced into the project itself is to mm-hmm. demand within our own organization that there must be a board member who's a youth. Okay. There must be a young person in decision-making spaces, whether a manager or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. a young person who mm-hmm. has power to make decisions mm-hmm. before we can then and whose voice is heard. Exactly. Let's get back to then yes. to, I think, the crux of my, my, my real question yes. here is, and you were answering it in two parts. You were saying the one aspect of those conversations around gender-based violence is, and, and I'm sorry that the conversation has gone here, yes. and not particularly yes. NGOs, but, but I need to understand this yes. particular aspect. And I think I will learn, our, our listeners too, you know, would benefit from an understanding, um, is... On the one aspect, there's an, an, an educational aspect of gender-based violence. Yes. And then there is gender-based violence. Yes. How much of the is are you finding within the youth that you need to deal with? It's, it's, it's quite extreme. Mm. And, and with one of the baselines that we did, um, there are often even difficulties in, in understanding some of the issues that lead to gender-based violence or 
when some young oh, young people are experiencing gender-based violence. One of the core issues that we find was unpaid care work um, or an equal division of care uh, in the home, mm. which then result in, 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 in GBV within the, um, within the domestic space, mm. which then young people experience. Um, and you'll find that also young people feel, feel left behind and not engaged or their voices don't have a platform within the space to engage those issues. So young women in, in the main, when you talk about HIV infection stats, they are the ones that are infected the most. When you talk about um, um, being at the, at, the, at the tail end or the receiving end of violence, young women are, um, in particular young black women, are the ones that are receiving mm. that particular um, um, violence or who are being violated or rights are being violated. Mm. So, so that is what you would find or what we find in, in the spaces that we're working in. And hence we are saying that GPV is not just an issue. Um, um, as you said previously, mm. one mm. would think it's a family issue. It's a yeah, domestic yeah, yeah, issue. Yeah. It's an issue that young people are facing um, um, and, and young women in particular are facing quite a lot and extremely. Okay, let's yeah. talk about NGOs now. Yes, uh, and and I, I started the conversation with the funding with the funding model of what's going on at at NGOs. Yes, um, government of late here in Gauteng took a decision that they would be reducing and or ending funding. Yes, of particular NGOs yes. and maybe channeling those particular monies elsewhere. Um, are you? In that conversation, out of that conversation, do you have a viewpoint of that particular conversation? So I'm I'm not in that conversation, um, as as I did um, mention quite earlier, that um, as as a as a as a as an organization that is structured like a global federation, obviously we don't necessarily um, get funding from government directly. However. Our local partners, CB, um, CBOs, um, which are community-based organizations, um, FBOs, faith-based organizations that we work with in different programs and projects, are usually um, affected or are affected by such decisions. Um, our view, we, we, as an organization, um, we've not necessarily formulated a view on the issues that are taking place, but obviously in solidarity, we are in support of the civil society organizations that are affected by decisions that are made by by power barriers in a sense or those who hold political office. Mm. And um the 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 decision in terms of our view is that it will really affect the work that is done on the ground and set back some of the gains that these organizations have done um, in the local communities that they're working in. Mm. And 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 the 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 in in it it it's really sad that you find that the attitude towards CSOs or um, civil society organization mm. is that it's one of the things that you can just cut off and there is no repercussion uh, in the communities where they are servicing mm. because at the end of the day what happens is that once you cut that funding mm. whatever mm. work that that NGO was doing mm. is now um um, um becomes a burden to the community itself mm, and in mm. particular it becomes a burden to women. Mm. So 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 for us it is one of those decisions that tells you sometimes we deal with an uh, with a with a with a with a government that is not necessarily in touch with what is happening on the ground. So I I would then also put it to you then that you said it would become that issue of that community but 
it's not necessarily where where that particular NGO was operating and that uh, particular um, crisis now arises. It's not a given that government then, because they've extracted their funding from that particular space, that government steps in. No. So you, you you would in essence find a vacuum, and uh, that, and I think that's the that's the problem with with something like this. In 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 a normal situation, so without any funds being pulled out, you find that already um, civil society organisations are already doing work that government should be doing in any case. Mm. So so it would be extreme for one to expect that when the funding is pulled out or the the ability for that organization to render that service within the community, then Mm. government would step in. When in an ordinary situation, they're not stepping in. Mm. Now let's talk about a relationship with NGOs and government. Yes. Is that a a relationship that's on a good footing? Uh, Generally, and I'm talking about in this country now. Yes. Is that relationship on a good footing Ignore the fact that government in Gauteng particularly yes, yes, yeah, yes. now is, you know, uh, yes. looking at withdrawing their funds in particular cases. But in the general, general space, um, government and the relationship with NGOs and the work that they do, is that, mm. is that relationship generally on a good footing? So, so it's a yes or no type of question. I mean, and, uh, yeah, mm. question. Um, because sometimes it's a matter of personalities. Maybe Mm. I'll start there Mm. where you have people who are passionate in the government structures, whether it's DSD or whatever the case may be, Mm. um, who are passionate about communities and the work that they're doing. Mm. So then with those personalities, it becomes easier to work and, and, and it's easier to actually ensure that the, what the resources that need to go to the ground Mm. and the services that people need are actually provided for. Mm. And then you find that in some certain spaces it becomes a bit difficult because of personalities people who are there just for the salary and not necessarily having any passion or connection mm. with what is happening on the ground then um but in 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 in, in answering your question in certain spaces, in certain um, offices or departments, mm. there's quite a good working relationship between government and civil society. Mm. Depending also on the issues that you're working in, mm. you'll find that when you're working, um, for example, in issues relating to ma- the mining space mm. and DMRE, that there there might be a difficult relationship because you are pushing to have SLPs, which is social mm. labor plans, mm. Mm. Uh, from either DMRE or from the mine itself, working with community members, so they know what are the commitments that have been made for that particular in that for that particular mine for that particular community. So you might you might find that there's a tug of war within that mm. space. But then you move maybe to another space where, uh, for example, the Department of Education, uh, where you are bringing um, um, sexual reproductive health um, 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 education within a school, mm. and you find that. That relationship is not necessarily a tug of war. It's more of a a, a welcome type of uh, um, um, service that you are giving in within that particular space. So again, it's it's a bit complex because it okay. also depends on the space, the mm. issues that you're dealing with, and in what approach or in what attitude you are coming um, to to mm. to that uh, department that you are engaging with. Mm. So department, department, department yes, might treat yes. you very differently. Let me yes. bring let me bring Rose into the conversation. Rose in Randburg, Rose. Hey, good evening, Denzel, and good evening to your guests. Wow, Rose. Wow, Rose. Wow, Rose. I've been hibernating. Rose, hibernating. Rose. The weather is cold. I've been hibernating. <laughs> Rose has been hibernating since last year. <laughs> Ro- Rose, has put me on a, Rose has put me on a blacklist. 
Wow. Yeah. Rose put me on a blacklist. Rose is like power perspective. I, um, no, no. <clears throat> I no, will I've been easing in. You know, I've been calling into Tavisa's show, and yeah. you know, it's just easing back into power. And, but and you, and you had to say time. that. You had to say that. You had to I say know. that. Mm. I know. Um, coffee next week, my you, you, you know, Rose. Danish. <laughs> mm. Ro- Rose is like, you know what? I'm not going to phone this guy anymore. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm. 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 Not- oh man. Rose. <laughs> <laughs> but, but with that being said, let's try to let's try to save a whole lot more people instead. <laughs> Absolutely, Rose. What, yes. Yeah, you've been listening to the conversation, Rose. Yes, I have. Mm. You know, and um, I'm sorry. I'm going to take it. Uh, I'm sorry to guess. I'm going to take it a couple of steps back. Sure. Where um, the question around GBV and um, the youth, you mm. know, mm. and um, in in my um, what two and a half decades of 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 being in the media, mm. but also at school and so forth as I was growing up and as well as interacting and family and things like that. Mm. I've noticed that um, gender-based violence starts out as a, a form of psychological abuse, form of mm. bad behaviors that, that slowly segue into psychological abuse, right? Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, if, you, if for instance, if you, if you think of um, brilliant musicians, uh, people who play instruments or golfers or anything like that mm. you know they don't just wake up at the age of 37 and be a golfer it's, yeah. it's got to have started somewhere i mean mm. um you know if you take um if you take a uh, tiger tiger with le- level of expertise mm. and and he f- held his first golf club at like three or four you know so um with that being said in my in my own high school years i used to see how people used to use silent treatment and i think that they ultimately graduate um you know and with the girls wanting validation and approval from mm. from um, guys that they dated school, uh, you know, one one day I observed where a young lady was eating a chocolate and walking on the playground, and she noticed from a distance the guy she she started dating because she had a crush on him. Mm. She threw the chocolate to the side, you know, so that he doesn't see her eating. Mm. So so uh, <laughs> see that she's a mere mortal, mm. you know. So mm. it it convinced me that. Um, I know I'm going to generalize, mm-hmm. but if I put crudely, boys want control and and girls want love, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, uh, from a young age, generalizing again, genderly, what what they want is love. What the the opposite partner wants is control, you know. And and um, both parties get used to entrenching and and becoming codependent so you know we don't just wake up and 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 find out that a 29 year old or so and so or 40 year old so and so is beating up their wives it had to start from somewhere mm, mm, mm. and society allowed it to 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 happen in essence absolutely you mm. know and and um I, I don't know how how much longer, but I suppose since the beginning of time that there are certain things we allow to happen to ourselves that stays behind um that stays in the shadows because mm-hmm. we are embarrassed we won't we won't articulate it and perpetuators of um whether it's physical or emotional or psychological mm-hmm. violence um uh, you know they have ways of keeping their victims quiet. You know, and the victims also know that if I make a noise about it, I will get a lot of abuse. I will take this little abuse and I will keep quiet about it. Mm. Rose in Randberg. Let's let's deal with, I want to deal with Rose's element there a little bit. Mm. Um, and, and Rose says um, it's it's learned somewhere. Yes. And, and it starts somewhere. Is that in the first phase of what you're doing, the literature part? Yes. Is that... 
make people aware and and make people aware of the societal space yes. uh, and that make people aware that there are these different relationships that exist and and people need to be aware that they exist so mm. that they don't go out and then perpetuate it so like i mentioned before that um there are social norms that we we learn and mm. values and and some of these social norms not all of them but some of them are pretty much harmful mm. um and you know that we we live and we grew up in a patriarchal society and i think that's mm. where rose um in essence is going there mm. Um, we live and we grew up in a, a patriarchal society. Boys will do this and girls mm. will do this. And and that is the first space mm. where the the toxicness that we see today mm. is perpetuated. Mm. And, and some of these things we need to unlearn. Hence, we have these roundtable discussions, dialogues where we engage with young people mm. about some of the things that we learn, whether in the home space, in the societal space, with our, with our peers. We engage and we look at the impacts mm. of these issues. For example, I did mention the issue of unpaid care work. Unpaid care work is the work that is done but not recognized mm. predominantly by women in the home space. Mm. They are expectation that the women will clean, cook, and, and take mm. care of the kids. Mm. And if one one of the things is not done, I come back as a man and I mm. throw a fit um, because one of the things is not done. So what mm. we're talking about is that the, the, there's equitable gender-equitable parenting mm. is the first step. Mm. And understanding that there is, whether I'm giving you money and you are sitting with the kids, but there is a, a role that I play of care mm. within the child's life as well as a man. Mm. So, and balance the parenting uh, space so that also kids can understand that I as a boy can wash dishes, can cook and mm. do all of the different things because these are life skills and not necessarily gender roles. Mm. So mm. those are some of the things that we start to engage and engage either parents, engage young people so that they are able to educate the, in the coming generation of a new way and a, a new way. We, we, we cannot be um, 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 hold hostage mm. to an old way of living in a new world. So, Got you. Yeah. And, and, and I do think that at some point... Uh, through Karabo and through uh, Babsi, I need to bring you back for this particular conversation because yes. I think it's an absolute crucial. The conversation of what you specifically do within the NGO, that particular, you know, um, um, uh, segment of of your work, yes. I think it's absolutely so important. Yep. Uh, just by just by listening to to you know how you you talk about the issues and how you raise them, and and what Rose was just saying on the other side. Let me ask you this about. NGOs. Yes. And and it's a question I asked you as well as introducing the conversation. As we argue for more NGOs. Yes. And as we argue for more money for NGOs and more responsibility and better, you know, staffing and all of these things. How do we on the other side of that conversation ensure that we don't have a government that becomes the more lax in its responsibility and its and its its experiences of wanting to go and assist. How mm. do you balance that? Because, in essence, in essence, it gets to that conversation that I did mention to you, mm -hmm. that as a responsibility is taken over, a governmental responsibility is taken over by an NGO, mm. and I'll use gift of the givers and not yours yes. in this particular instance. Yes. 
and water in a particular area is not available. Yes. Gift of the Givers heads up there with their trucks, with their staff, at its own cost, and begins to draw boreholes. Yes. And so then the community has water. Yes. And the government hasn't lifted a finger. And yet government's responsibility when that particular community was, you know, not getting water, and government should have had that responsibility before there was no water. So how do we prevent and look at that particular balance where government doesn't become a stakeholder that watches NGOs do their work and then takes the responsibility and shakes, you know, um, their hands and says, well done, you know, and then is in the picture also for the for the for the uh, for the credibility. Yes. They also find themselves in the picture and taking advantage of that particular deed of which they did nothing. Yes. So um, I think the first the starting point is that um, um, civil society um, or civil society organizations are not doing the work of government. I'm going to start there. Yeah. But, and, but but in essence, but in essence, yes. gift of the givers went and put boreholes in Our, in schools and hospitals at at particular when when a hospital never had water here in Gauteng, yes. gift of the givers took their truck, went and put a borehole down and gave that particular hospital water. I'll speak to and, that, and, and that is a governmental yes. responsibility. Yes, I, I, so I want to put it. Maybe let me rephrase it. Mm. Um, NGOs or um, civil society is in the work of justice. Ah right. Yes. Okay. So so the, when I, I when understand, the, yes, I understand yes, if you put it yes. like that. So when when the, a community has no water, that's an injustice. Yeah. So so we are not there to come and take over the responsibility of government within that space. Mm. We are there to ensure that we are a catalyst for justice. Yes. So that people don't wait years and years for water. Mm. We come there as a catalyst. Mm. But government still has to be held accountable mm. to do its work. That's why you find that in most spaces and 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 and, and sometimes people struggle to understand um, 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 civil society organizations and, and charity. Mm. We are not in the work of charity. Mm. We are in the work I think of... There's a, I think there's a yes, big distinction that yes, you have to make there. Yes. Yeah. So we, we, we are there not necessarily just to give you water, but to educate you about your rights mm. for the access to water. Mm. Who's the councillor within that space? Mm. And how? what are the avenues to holding that particular person accountable mm. for the work that they are, should, be, that should, they should be doing? Mm. So whichever department that is not delivering whatever service also lies on our hands. That's why sometimes we'll call ourselves human rights organizations. It's mm. because it's also within our, our 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 work to ensure that we educate communities so that they hold that power bearer, the accounting officer mm. accountable for the work that they should be doing. So our work is justice, ensuring that the the needs or what um the service that a person may need is rendered. For example, when a child is raped you find that it there 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 are many hurdles for them to get help but there are organizations that deal with psychosocial support that will help or coming to that space to ensure that that young pe- person gets the service that they need however we are not taking over this the 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 system of justice because um the government uh, the npa uh, the correctional services mm. the the judiciary 
all of these people still need to play their role in ensuring that the perpetrator mm. pays for the crime that they've done. Mm. But also we ensure that this young person is not necessarily left waiting for months and years to see a psychologist or to do, go to a, a to, to Zella care center when the evidence is already washed away. Mm. So to ensure that we empower with knowledge to know that once this thing has happened, there's a J one uh, sorry, there's a J eighty eight form that you need to sign. I mean that needs to be filled in by the doctor mm. and so forth. You need to preserve ed- evidence in this way. The, the you need to get a case number. Um, you need to know who's the 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 the, the assigned officer um, or investigating officer on your case. Mm. So it's also to empower, not necessarily just to give a service. Mm. So mm. so th- mm. that's the work we do as civil society organizations, whether at a community based level, um, even at a, a, a provincial level where we work with policies and legislator um where we work at, with, with with issues of um law mm. there are some organizations that champion those things like gender based um, um sonke gender based violence mm. Mm. i mean uh, sonke mm. uh, uh sonke justice um sonke sonke gender justice yeah i don't know why i'm getting this wrong um <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost midnight <laughs> yes it's mm. one of our partners who work on issues of policy to ensure that the the laws that we have ensure mm. to power victims um, 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 and ensure to, 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 or ensure that the those who are supposed to be doing the the work are doing that work, or they are accounting for the work that mm. they are not doing. So, so in essence, we are saying government does need the partnership. Yes. Yeah, government does need the partnership. So, because from a judicial perspective, from a justice perspective. Uh, you see an injustice and you highlight it. Yes. And 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 more so, I think, because um, your structures are more community-based and on the ground yes. than any government on any day would be. You would be able to highlight something, begin to raise the questions, begin to intervene, and then expect government to begin to play its role in that particular yes. space. So partnerships then absolutely important yes very much so even in our work we 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 don't we're not going out there to catch government it's not Mm. our work yeah we 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 look for partnership Mm. with with government and it works best when you have people who are passionate about the issues that you are working on Mm. it becomes difficult when you don't have people who are passionate about the work or about the people then it becomes a struggle however the, it is like you've summed it up. It is a partnership between civil society organization and government mm. so that we ensure that we, we develop and, and work on our countries and the issues that we are facing mm. or that young people are facing. If, if locally governments are cutting the funding, if locally governments are cutting the funding and they talk about all sorts of things where the funding needs to go to yes. and, and, and they're beginning to force NGOs into a place where NGOs are heading to the private sector and international to go and find their money. Yes. And I think government's doing that deliberately. Government is looking and going, these guys can find the money, these guys can be forced into the private sector, and these guys can go and find you know, the monies that would need. And then government has more access to money. What government does with that particular money that it has more access to now is a whole different conversation mm, mm. on a different day. Because... Sometimes you don't see the benefits yes. of that particular money that's been shifted. Yes. Um, the, 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 the funding aspect of, of NGOs, yes. is it generally a problem as is highlighted sometimes by NGOs all around? It, it is a difficult space. I don't want to lie to you. Mm. Um, it is very difficult. And I work with civil society, as, as I said, that we are uh, forming a Generation G um, civil society network. And mm. one of the biggest issues that civil society, even CBOs, I'll highlight them uh, the most, is the issue of funding. Mm. 
Mm. And and unfortunately, and I'm going to say this, uh, but probably we should have a conversation an, uh, on another day. Mm. Sometimes government, knowing that they hold that power, the carrot, mm. they begin to manipulate that particular space. And you mm. find that mm. there's a lot of toxicity that exists within civil society itself mm. because of how this thing is being used. Mm. Um, yes, it is a challenge because also there's there's this idea in the global sp- space that um, South Africa is a second world country or, mm. or first world. Mm. So a lot of funding, even um, um, from an international level, mm. is moving away from South Africa, moving mm. to you, the other countries, you, Uganda's, Uganda's, and so forth, and, likes, and, yeah. and Kenya and the likes, because South Africa is viewed as a stable country and a, mm. far, a, a pretty much advanced country. Then you find that the, the pocket is shrinking, mm. but there are many players Mm. So, so then you find people now are, are, are rushing for that little uh, pocket of change that is left. Mm. So there is that big challenge that exists within within that space. Mm. Yeah, I remember years ago, the United States government was beginning to ask South Africa and 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 people here, because South Africa had the capacity to deal with HIV, and 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 we were demonstrating that we had the capacity. And the United States was saying, why, why should I fund? Yeah. Any of your programs yes. when absolutely you do have the capacity. Why are you asking me to fund your programs yes. when absolutely you have? And I think it's going to become harder and harder and harder considering what we've just seen with the U.S. ambassador yes. and the South African context. Yes. Let me ask you as I close the conversation, and I do need to ask you this. Uh, Noms, I'm going to steal two minutes of your time. Uh, I need to ask you this. Uh, is there a competitive nature between NGOs for the financing and for the recognition and for any other, you know, because in essence, uh, it's a competitive market. It's a very, very critical space. And, you know, once you have an overflow of people, less and less funding, less and less staff, less and less recognition and all of those things, how competitive is the nature of the work and the nature for funding and resources between NGOs? Yes, it's very compatible. Uh, competitive, sorry. Mm. Um, however, we're using an approach, even with the civil society network, where we are collaborating. For example, with the Generation G project, mm. like I said, it's three organizations. Um, mm. It's in uh, seven countries, and one of them is South Africa. We submitted a joint proposal. So it's Songage and the Justice, Activate and Action Aid. Mm. So, so, so we are pushing towards where we are skill sharing. We are capacitating each other, and also we are we are working on joint proposals so that you ensure the sustainability of as many organisations as you can mm. as you go for the different funding um, 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 funding um, funders that are available. So mm. you may find that there's an organisation that is working in, and I'll, I'll make an, a typical example of a partnership that we had some years ago with Teddy Bear Clinic, which is mm. based here in Johannesburg, but they're not a global organisation. So they would partner with an, an action aid like organization to go mm. for a global funding. Mm. So which is then easier to access because you may have comic relief based in the UK. You have Action Aid UK, which can then tap into comic mm. relief. Mm. Then you have that shared funding for the work that you're doing on the ground with um um um, um Teddy Bear Clinic. Um so again, mm. those are the models that uh, um, organizations are beginning to use that we also want to influence more organizations so you make the space less compatible um, com- um competitive and more collaboration gotcha. within organizations yeah yeah 
Sakile Zungu, I have to bring you back here. So many just different legs to the kind of conversations we were having. Yeah. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.